Welcome to the Awakening Podcast, where we have truth tellers, not whistleblowers, where we have facts and not conspiracy theories, the podcast with solutions. You can find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org. We're also on BitChub and YouTube, so be sure to give us a thumbs up and a share. My guest today is in the USA. Please welcome Dr. Crystal Gifford. Hello. Hi, Roy. So good to be here. So we've uh, we've a mutual friend that's uh, connected us, and I know that it's education is is your uh, team for today. Yes. Uh, yes. Anything to do with learning? Uh, from the time I was a, a young girl, actually, uh, I just loved learning, and I I went after it at the deepest degree. And everything that was put in front of us, okay, do these things. It made sense for me. Uh, I didn't understand why maybe my friends and, and then my kids, as I felt teaching them, why it was such a struggle. For me, it was simple, but what I learned in that is it's really not designed for the person who can be a creative. Education just, uh, it doesn't give the opportunity for those who have other ideas to come out. And it was easy for me as a child because I was a pleaser. And so if you're a pleaser, you can jump right in, you can do education, they give you very specific steps. But then my question as an adult has come, but what do we get from that? Right? I, I believe that the reason I learned so much about it and, and uh, became such a good student was because I was curious and went beyond. And every subject matter that interested me, I went beyond. And see, I'm pretty passionate about education. I've been uh, studying it since I was born, practically, and um, kind of accidentally stumbled into becoming a professor at the age of 23. So uh, yeah, I've been passionate about education for a very long time and participated in higher education now uh, for, I guess, 21 years. Very nice. Well, it's something that has always fascinated me because like we start in Ireland at four, we go to school at four years of age, we're told cross our hands, put our finger up to our mouth and you're in a class of 40 at the time and you're basically just kind of be pushed into the system, come home and you're given homework from a very early age. And I think that stops your creativity. We're constantly, that's kind of seems to be the system in Ireland for lots of homework. So you don't get time to play with your friends. Yeah. And I've, I really find that in the US, it was similar. Uh, things are different in the world right now, as we know. Uh, but in the US, it was similar. And especially there's a there are a couple of age groups. I remember when my boys would come home and I'm like, what did you do in school today? Because there's so much work to be done. And uh, biggest thing is, you know, they, they come home, they're willing to do the work. They were my kids, so they didn't really have a choice. <laughs> I value education highly. Um, but they would complain and this is hard. And eventually it became work that I was struggling to even help them with. And I was lucky I didn't get stuck in the core math. Uh, although I'm now seeing students in the college market who did the core math and it, there's this huge disconnect there. But yeah, it, it was in the US, it's the same. It's very driven toward uh, getting the work done in class and doing all that. But then you also have to bring on home these big projects. Um, for me, even the communication is a little wonky sometimes between for parents trying to help, like, how do I jump in and help? You know, I, I now have grown uh, children. Uh, and so there are systems that are helping, 
But my question becomes then, okay, now we're getting more communication with the teacher and parents, but at what level are the teachers being bullied by the parents? And so there's just this, it seems everything we've done to try to give ancillary support to the education system keeps on backfiring or failing or, and I believe it's because we've chosen a box and we said, okay, here's education, it's in a box, it fits like, it fits nicely here. don't go outside of this because if we stay inside the box, we can measure multiple students at once. If we stay inside the box, we can compare Sally against John. And if we stay inside the box, we can have one teacher to 30 students or 50 or 100 students as we get into higher ed. And it works for the delivery of the system in an efficient capitalistic society manner, right? It works for that. And I I believe that's why it's perpetuated. We had an industrial revolution. We needed more workers who would just do what they're told, right? The pleasers in the world. I was a pleaser, even though it turns out I've learned that I'm really more artistic than than, uh, left-brained in the way that I like to bring my work into the world. And so it worked as long as I was in school, but what happened for me even personally is once I got outside of school and I finished the marks, you know, once you get a terminal degree, what else do you do? Okay, well then I went for certifications and then, and what I I was like, but what is this adding? And who is benefiting from going down that road and down that road? And yeah, I know a lot now, but what really became for me important was, but what does that mean for a 20 year old who is saying, uh, uh, and that's what they do when you ask, what do you want to do for your major? Uh, and it's just like this dead weight of energy. And then they just pick, okay, well, my mom was a dentist. So, you know, or my, you know, my dad worked in a factory. No, I don't want to do that. So I'm going to work in an office. Right. So and then the, the choices just from the time you're in kindergarten or four, you know, four years old, five in the U.S. up, you are told do it this way and you get an A do it this way. And you, you know, you get the high marks and we forget that the creativity is the part that turns this human who's learning these facts into a human who can use them and bring them out into the world. And yeah, so, so I'm a little passionate about education. (laughs) And like, I mean, from what the way I see it, it looks like they're trying to make people compliant to be kind of working in a corporation instead like because even in the school that I was in they took out art they took out music you know any creative subjects and like another thing is what annoys me is like a, a teacher tends to have a job for life I'm not sure is it the same in the states but definitely in in Ireland the situation was like my mom brought us to a good school like there was three schools nearby but she brought us to one of the better schools and like we had one teacher, he was an alcoholic. Another guy he was a sports fanatic. So he would come in, say, open the book, read that and leave. And yet he had his job for life. And um, we had uh, Christian brothers. They were like, you had to learn poetry. So you mentioned about, you know, having the parents teaching the child. Like I remember my mother used to be there and I'd be for hours trying to remember poetry. Every night we had to remember poetry and what benefit was that? Or, you know, when you were doing all the maths, learning all these theorems and everything. I mean, you know, you're spending hours and yet what benefit was it? And um, I also remember there was another teacher. I was 13 years of age and uh, I, like I was kind of strange in school. I was either first in the class in subjects or 
last in the class. <laughs> it was, it, it's kind of normally people are kind of the right or last in most of them or up in the top, but I was kind of a bit different. And I remember one of the uh, exams, I came, I came last. I had something like, I was a 17%. I was 13 years of age. And the teacher in front of the class said, my grandmother would do better than that. And she's dead 10 years. And I know, like I laugh at it now, but when you think of actually doing that to a child and he was doing stuff like that the whole time, same thing a job for life. I mean, he should have been kicked out for that kind of behavior. Yeah. And I think that's where we get into everything comes with the, a double-edged sword, right? Uh, the principles of tenure and having a teacher in for life were in theory designed so that they could have freedom designed so that they could teach theories or ideas or principles that maybe go beyond what you're being taught at the higher level, at the hierarchy of a nation to keep that separation, right? So if we can keep the separation from the schools and the teachers specifically, then they can't get kicked out for sharing new ideas, for expanding minds. And, and so it's a, a great principle in theory, but everything sounds great in theory. <laughs> That's why we have it, right? Uh, the problem that it has yielded is now we have teachers who maybe they're underpaid, maybe they got the job because they wanted summers off. Um, you know, and there are a lot of great teachers and we'll definitely talk about that as well. But, um, but the system itself lends itself like any system, right? The welfare system lends itself to people who take advantage. The unemployment system in the US has definitely been taken advantage of in the last six months. Uh, these systems are there to support but without the wiggle room, without understanding that this is a general idea, and then we have to go outside of that for you know for general for most governing, we're going to find you know that teacher who's hey read your book while I watch sports right, and then we have to have systems for that, and I think it, there's a little bit of backlash, and and it's a, a catch twenty two system because it's nice to have that as a professor. Um, to to teach outside of the box that you've been given, but it also to potentially getting some really bad teachers. And what I find is that because everything is so regimented, you know, the college degree at this point we've we've structured the degree so much that there's barely room for electives. In fact, you have two electives, but they're dictated which subject matters they should be in. And a lot of times students the entire, all through school, all through their entire college experience, and unless they got involved in the co-curricular and extracurricular activity, they just got what, right? It's like going to a buffet and they're saying, no, 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 you get this food. Don't, don't touch anything else, you get just this. And the creativity is just lost in it. You mentioned art and uh, also music, yeah. physical education has been in some cases removed. And to me, that's, that's like saying, okay, all of these other parts of your being are completely unimportant. We're only going to train your mind and we're only going to train it inside of these parameters. And then we want you to choose. It's like, well, it gave you a box of two choices and it's like, well, which do you want? And the reason that the choices are struggling, the reason students are not performing and not staying in school, I believe, are because that we're giving them two choices and neither of them are good, right? It's like we have this wheel of major and you 
based on your factors. But what about the student who loves science and also loves spirituality? Where's the room for that student? You know, what about the student who loves art, but doctor? Where do they get to expand those skills? Think about this. Plastic surgeon, for instance. Don't you want your plastic surgeon to have some art skills? You don't just want them to go in and cut, but you want them to go in and and maybe shape all plastic surgeons do, but you want them to be able to be an artist. You want their work to look good when you're done. Otherwise, why would you go say, have your nose fixed or whatever? So um, I think that there are double sides to everything, right? And that's one of the benefits and curses that I've been blessed with is coming in from a higher education side. I see the benefits of some of the reasons we do them. And I also see the failures. I also see the students who are sitting there with the, uh, every time we ask them a question about what they want, because they've never been asked to go in. They've never been asked to go into their own desires and what they like. It's more of like, okay, you can like those things on your own time, but we're in school right now. Mm -hmm. And, and I disagree. I believe that if we dive first into what they love and who they are and what they like, then we don't have to make them learn. They want to. And that's the way it should be. And like what, what kind of frustrates me about the system as well is if you have a good memory or if you've trained yourself to have a good memory, irrespective of the topic, you're an A class student, you go through the system and you're, yeah, you're perfect. Whereas a lot of people, they don't have that ability and they're classed as dumb, whereas they can have a hundred different skill sets and it's not counted. And you know, in reality, like I know the Finnish system, I'm actually glad my son is six here and they, the, we're living in Poland and they're copying the Finnish system. So he is doing the PE. He's like, I mean, you know, he's Polish. So, but they have English classes. They have Spanish classes. They do lots of arts and craft, no homework, no exams. And I love that. And it's a pity that that's not the system around the world. Oh, I love that. I've actually been studying Finland because of their education practices and uh, would love to go there actually and visit <laughs> and create a tour. But yeah, that I think that as, as leaders step up, right, the, 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 Finland has been a huge leader in education. Um, I don't see a lot of people in the U.S. listening to that yet. I don't see a lot of conversation around that. But it's a very powerful thing to create a model because one of the the issues with education is that that's what we did. We created a model. The model worked at the time because the goal was to go work in a factory and maybe work up a corporate ladder, right? The, the intention of college has been to climb the corporate ladder to, you know, students come in and they may, maybe they don't know what they want to do or what it looks like, but they want to be a CEO. So I want to be the top. I want to be the leader. That's something they can connect with, but you can use that. By the way, you can use that data. If a student comes in wanting to be a CEO, that tells you something about that student and you can foster their skills. But when we start to follow and flow with the models that are being made, I, I think that we're going to see massive changes. And it wouldn't surprise me, Roy, if that part of the world, you know, Finland and countries who are modeling after it, don't rise up to be the, the nations that are the leaders, that are the ones who are showing the rest of the world how to be, how to do, even from, not just from an education perspective, but from an economic perspective, right? There's, there's an economy piece of this. I teach economics, so that's a big part of it for me. And um, what we're doing and teaching students to only be good in a corporate environment 
is literally feeding the economy for a separation of wealth. Because you're either going to climb that ladder and be at the top, or you're going to not make it up the ladder, which most people don't, and you're going to stay at the bottom. Uh, it's one of the first caveats, uh, disclaimers I give in my economics courses. I say, I, if, except for the money stuff, I definitely know all about the money stuff. So listen to me there. But if you're looking to climb corporate ladder, don't listen to a word I say. Because I'm not your corporate person. I'm here to help you find the life you want. And if that happens to be in corporate, great. That can be the work you do, but you are still you. And yeah, I, I think that as Finland and other countries begin to lead the way with education to, uh, we have Montessori schools here in the U.S., which I believe are similarly. Yeah, kindergarten. Um, yeah, this, yeah. Yeah. So for the younger, younger students, we have some structures that are privatizing right but if we don't fi fix the fundamental system who can actually access those schools no. so so again it could potentially pe perpetuate the separation of wealth if we don't shift the way we do education at a public level and like just that you've mentioned montessori because that's something that uh, scares me as well um like in germany they're going teaching children from two to four years of age about masturbation and about sex. And I, I know it's happening in a few different countries. So like the education system is controlled and something like that should never be taught to children at that age. Then, you know, there's, there's not even a curiosity for most kids around that. I mean, maybe to touch their own parts, but beyond that, like kids are just kids. They're just curious. And, um, I think we're in too big of a hurry to put everything into a regimen. Yeah. You know, oh, okay, well, they're going to do this. So let's go hurry up and teach them and put it in a box. But the exploration, even of masturbation, even of any topic, the exploration of that topic is where the juice is. It's not being taught the 12 steps someone else learned, not being taught, you know, oh, well, we did it this way, so you're going to do it. That's the opposite of education. That's, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I am with you on that. I think that's a little young. Yeah. And um, and it just makes you wonder, like, what's the agenda, right? Oh, totally. And that's why I say is like, like parents should heed what's been taught in the system and object to it because a lot of times people they just hand their child over to the school and just let them off kind of assuming that they have their best interests at heart and sometimes they don't and you need to know what they're actually trying to teach them and what's the agenda yeah and you know that i was a mom and so i put my kids right in the public school system and we started down that path and my oldest son has not been served by that he was brilliant beyond measure uh and that's the problem it was beyond measure they they don't really know what to do with this kid right and so that was where it started awakening to me even though i love education and even though i've spent my life and career in it what began to open to me is it really doesn't serve no. most people and at what what i found shocking in the u.s recently uh, there was, you know, with the coronavirus and everything going on in the world today, uh, there was this um, this debate. I don't, I, I stay away from the news, but I heard this debate, and it was the parents were complaining because they're not sending kids back to school because they need to go to work. And, and the whole argument was that parents can't get back to work if kids don't go back to school. And you know, when did the schools become responsible for? to be our babysitters. Yeah. 
right? I was like, wait a minute, the schools are there to teach our children. And if it's a safe environment that they can provide, they're there to teach and hopefully continue to evolve and grow and, and improve. We just keep holding faith for that. I believe it will happen. It is happening. But responsible for keeping your kids while you go to work is not what school is about. It, it just, I think that attests to what school has become in our nation, that there was an outcry, send our kids back to school so we can go to work. Well, so you're willing to put your kid at harm's risk, right? So like, let's, let's assume there's a risk because that's why they're saying they don't want to bring them back. Not going to get into the politics of all of that, but if that's a risk, why would you send your child there just to be there while you go to work? So I don't know if you're familiar with what's going on in the U.S. with the new training, but in in class training looks like this. You come into a room, you have on your mask, you are separated from the other students, you sit in the room all day, your teacher rotates. So now the teacher comes in, the new teacher for this group, this cohort, the teacher will come in and rotate. You sit in your seat all day. There's no movement. There's no stretching. There's no outside play. I was like, so basically school now is all day detention. And in, in they, the US- They will get sick from wearing the masks all day. You know, they're just breathing in the carbon dioxide. That will make them ill. That's proven. So that, yeah, yes, we all comply to that system. And just going back what you said, because I think sometimes people- because the way society has got and the, like as I say controlled really some people they don't earn as much as they would maybe 20 years ago that they can like you can have one person in a family that's working and the other stay at home like that's how I grew up and most nearly all the kids on the street that's the way it was them days are gone because most people have to work just to put food on the table and keep rent and that's kind of orchestrated as well. And you're, you know, you're right that they, we should be actually taking care of our kids. But I know that sometimes they, both parents have to work to actually survive. And that's the unfortunate situation that we're in. Well, and, and exactly. And that's where it gets a little tricky. And I don't say a lot of this out in public very often, but I'll say it anyway. Um, what I'm finding is that it's almost as if the system is designed to create this barely getting by. Yes. The way we educate you, um, and we don't teach money in school, by the way, at all. No. Uh, and so that's that's really the soapbox that I started down was teaching money. And then I realized, hey, wait a minute, it's the whole way we're learning that's the problem. You would be better with money if you could learn a more holistic way. So um, for me, I well, we know that the United States is a corporation. We know this. It's you know, it's been incorporated. It is a company. Yes. And so if you think about the operation of a company, what is the goal of the company? And that is to create profits for the shareholders. Um, well, if you have a company, you need workers. And those workers should be willing to give a, whatever they have for enough, right? So they, they go home with enough. It keeps them fed. It keeps them their basic needs met. Sometimes they get to go on vacation, right? So it's like, oh, I have a good life. I get a one vacation a year. And well, that's pretty convenient for the corporation that people are stuck in that loop because they don't have time, energy, or money extra to go get themselves out. As a professor, professors don't make a lot of money. And I've been also an entrepreneur as I've been a professor. So I've, I've played in both sides. And 
as a professor, no, there's just not enough. It's exhausting work. I, I love teaching. I love teaching. And it's why I put up with all the other academic stuff that goes on because I love the classroom part. Uh, I love making that difference in a student's life. But if, you know, if you look at a traditional professor, even at a terminal degree level, there's enough, maybe you could support your family. If you were going to live middle, very middle class, you could support your family and let someone stay home, but to barely get by, but it's exhausting work, right? It's absolutely exhausting. So then when you come home at the end of the day, how are you going to find energy and time for your own things and to expand and to grow? And so I just find it to be a very convenient system that works people enough hours, enough time and uses up the energy inside of us, right? Because yes, it's only 40 hours out of our week, but it uses up all the best energy of us. It takes the best part of our week when we're productive, when we could create, when we could grow and we are forced to be on this time clock at that time, maybe even spinning our wheels, maybe not getting the recognition we want or whatever. So it seems to me that if you're going to change that system to where people could grow and provide and change our economic system, our society, then we've got to create some spaciousness. And that has to happen at the education level because we've already trained you by the time you get out of high school, you're just trained that you just work hard. I mean, the wow. people working, I mean, I see it. Most people, they, they live for the weekend and it's sad when you see that, you know, that they're just, they're chugging through life. You know, they have a car that's parked outside the house. They have a home that they're not in. Well, before this pandemic, you know, they're driving to the office and especially if you're on a salary and I'm sure is it in the States, but in Ireland, definitely in a lot of countries, you know, they might say you do 40 hours, but they kind of make people that people are doing 50 and 60 hours and they're not getting paid for it, but just so that they comply, they stay, they keep their job. They're coming home exhausted. You know, they eat a meal, put on a, an hour television and then they're falling asleep and that's their life. They're chugging through and they don't have the creativity. They don't have the energy to get out of that box basically. Right. And that, and that started with the education, yeah. you know, especially now I'm really nervous for, and, you know, I don't know, but the Gen Z, I'm kind of, I'm rooting for them. I think this new Gen Z of adults who are coming up, I believe they're going to make the change because they're seeing all of the problems. So I really do cross my fingers and hope for them to be the change makers in our society as they come into positions of power. But we have taken so much of the play, the art, the music, the, the phys ed, all the things that we talked about before we've taken those out and said, those aren't part of learning, right? So that's what we're saying. If we're taking them out of schools, well, that's not an important part of learning or that's not a learning. We're, we're only gonna focus on the things that we learn. But what I find is that in the play, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of play. In play, when we're in play and we're just, there's no rules, there's no guideline, you're just figuring it out. Someone has to kind of create some structure, right? Some leader emerges. Uh, someone else has the creative ideas. And so that creator emerges and in play is where we find out where our strengths are. And in play is where we find out what we have to give to the world, right? I didn't know I was going to be a teacher. I was going to be an astronaut until I was a senior in high school. And then I got pregnant. So it wasn't, you know, at that point I thought, okay, someone with a kid should probably not go into space for a lot of years. So that was my dec decision. Um, and so I started looking around for what else, but as I 
grew into the education market and kind of landed myself into professorship, I started looking back and I heard from Brian Tracy, a famous speaker here in the US, um, he made a comment that you can see what someone's gifts are and who they could be in the world between the ages of seven and 14. And so instead of letting them play between seven and 14 and figure out who you are and you know how do you show up in the world and in school and with your friends, we box them in. But if you could pay attention, when I was seven, that age grade range, uh, we would play church. I was a pastor's daughter. So we did a lot of church things. So we would play church and I would be the preacher and I would deliver a message and we would play school and I would be the teacher and I would pick a subject and teach it. And so I could see from myself because I did have a lot of time to play as a child, other than school, my parents were busy doing church things. And so there was always a bunch of kids around. I always had plenty of people to play with and myself as a teacher emerged and I didn't even know what was going on, but I can reflect back on that now and say, oh man, I was always looking to bring wisdom in and, and share it in some way. Uh, so that for me is where the juice is in education. If you can recognize that, and I started using this in my talks and sharing this with others who have, who are about a thing, but maybe losing some passion for, and it's like, well, how did you get here? What did you think and dream about when you were seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old? And that's the part of the education where we could foster, we could make change. You know, we, we could um, just open the world for these kids to explore and to love and to, to play and to make mistakes and, and, you know, and to say, wow, good job. You found a way not to do it. Right. Instead of, oh, shame on you. And I think the perfection that has been asked for out of education now, you know, anything less than an A, you may as well fail in some households, right? Yeah. Um, that's not true at all. I, for me, it was always, did you do your best? And I noticed some subjects you struggle with. So that's okay if those grades are loader, uh, lower. But if you can just look at where that child shines, there's a lot of information there. And if we would change that at the education level, at that space and create more spaciousness instead of more boxing, I do believe that we would raise up leaders who are going to change this, who are going to no longer stand for being told what to learn and when and how, but to say, well, we obviously know we need to learn how to read and write, right? We need yeah. to be able to communicate. Okay, let's focus on communication. But instead of you need to learn to read, we focus on, ooh, you know, here's, I'm reading right now. I'm always reading this one actually slowly, but the seed of the soul. So here's, do you know what you can get from this book? And if I can get you excited about what's in the book, you're going to learn how to read. Yeah. That's just how it is. Exactly. And so why not approach education from that? Let's do the play. Let's get you excited about a thing. And then let's build the skills that you need in life based on something you're excited about already, then mm. we can make a change. But the way it's going now, we're not changing that way. No, absolutely. You know, um, and like what you've just said down, getting them excited in the play and everything. The teacher that I had after that history teacher was really getting us excited. He'd, he'd tell us to pretend we were the people. And I started getting 100% in all my exams and an A in the state final. And like to go from being the worst in the class just by one teacher's way of teaching. It just shows you know, how much a difference it can make to a person. 
oh, so much, so much that I've actually started doing a practice I call body learning. And what we do is we get action or we get motion or we get energy moving in the body. And then we have the conversations around the topics that we're looking for. And that's a very simplified version of it. But, you know, using your body, engaging your body to allow the learning to come in. And then it becomes part of you. It's part of your cellular structure at this point, because the memory associated with that learning is tied to an emotion. That's science. This isn't woo-woo stuff. This is science. When we tie learning to emotion, we remember it. It becomes part of us. And um, as you were saying, like the teacher it got you to pretend you're the characters and get involved and to engage. The reason you got a hundred, I, I am adamantly standing on this, that the reason you were getting those hundred marks, hundred percent and you know, higher marks is because you embodied the learning, right? And so when you embody the learning, when you bring it in and make it part of yourself, you don't have to, you don't have to study as hard. You don't have mm-hmm. to work as hard. Um, you know, I think the ways that we study, even we, you know, we talk about, oh, you've got your kinesthetic learner, your audible learner and your visual learner. These are things we taught, we are taught as educators. And so appeal to all of them. But I'm finding that no one, not one person I've ever met actually learns by only one of those, not one. And so the audible learner someone who more can remember it from hearing. My oldest son is like that. And as long as he sat through the lecture, he would remember it. Now, is he that engaged to care to actually take the time on the exam was another story. <laughs> it's like, I, this was, I only need an 80%. So, you know, his motivation wasn't there, but he could learn that way. But what he found is that it's when he enjoys or likes. So there's this whole emotional and mood thing, whether he's going to choose to remember it or even listen in the first place. And so for him to engage that, he first has to engage a connection with the teacher, rapport with the teacher, because he doesn't hear unless he has rapport. So this is one of the ways that he has learned when he's really wanting to learn something. Okay, well, let me get to know the teacher and have respect for that teacher first. And now he's studying day trading and he's 26 and and studying other things, right? But he's able to learn that, picked it right up, rocking it on the trading his trades he will tell me what to do and i'll make a longer term trade then and he gets a little excited because it's new for him but i'll hold and i've been making money just listening to his advice and he's been doing it for eight months right so just with my play money i'll do what he says but it's and this is a kid who you know maybe he aced some topics maybe he failed some we barely got him through biology he just didn't care So, you know, but he could. So how do we get students excited about learning these things? I have, I I believe, yeah, I'm just going to say this. I believe that my, the reason my students leave my classes and understand economics more than most other economics professors, and this is not a, a degrading to any other professors, but if you look at my style, I play with all of the aspects of who they are. We do, you know, we do group work and they become the leaders. They make up their own assignments on some of these things. They, uh, we get up and we do exercises. I give them two bonus points for just standing up and exercising with me and dancing for a song. One song just before an exam, 
you know, and, and so these are just things I've learned over time because I was curious and because I'm passionate about education, how could I do it better? How could I do it better? How could I do it better? And the less book I use and the more example and using their bodies and getting them engaged I use, the more I have students who came thinking, if I can just get a D, that's enough for me. Students do this, by the way, in college in the US. Oh, a D is enough to keep, you know, that this isn't my major, so I can get a D and still go. And that's their goal. But I will find that they'll come up and they'll get Bs and Cs and occasionally even an A in the class. And it's the same measurement they would they would have gotten before. They still have to have exams to meet accredit accreditation and all the things, but they're just performing better. And I believe it's because they're embodying the material uh, and, and I don't require too many details. Like I don't need you to know every single word in economics, it's its own language, but I need you to understand how it works. And I think when we focus on that and find what they love, the rest is easy. Then they come to class, then they wanna know, then they're asking questions and they come to your office after and say, hey, well, what about this part? What if I, and now they have ideas. And that's where learning is. That's what learning was meant to be, right? We, we didn't study with a teacher and a hundred students when we started this whole school idea. It was a mentor and an apprentice. Mm. And you learned who to be with someone by doing, by watching, by being part of it, by trying what they show you, by failing and having the, them teach you what you did wrong, right? So um, yeah, I, I believe that education at its roots has some juice. We kind of got excited and boxed it in because we wanted to mass produce just like we mass produced everything else. And I'm hopeful that now we're in an age where we realize the mass production is no longer working again and we bring it back to some sort of apprentice mentorship model to, uh, to fund, to learning from excitement and interest rather than a stack of books that you have to memorize. Absolutely. And like the other thing as well is, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how many subjects you have in the, in the US, but in, in a lot of countries at different ages, you know, you have to do nine subjects and you're expected to be great at all these subjects. I mean, you should be able to just say, I don't like, like your son, I don't like biology. Just drop it and do something that he loves because his chances of getting a higher grade in something that he's passionate about goes way up. Why force people? Because they tend to do that. They force you to do a certain subject. And I think if you don't like it, like especially in, in European countries, you know, you have to do, you know, uh, in English, uh, you know, and maths, you know, and they're, they're the ones that you kind of have to do. And a lot of people, maybe they're bad at maths, but doesn't mean why should you force them to do maths? They, they have no you know, interest in becoming, uh, having a job that has maths related. I mean, obviously, you, know, you need to count and stuff like that, but you don't need to be learning all these theorems. And if it drains your energy, why force it on a person? Yeah, and I, I, I get the idea. So the principle behind higher education is we create some well-rounded people, people who can do, you know, who have a, a general knowledge of most things. But then we ask you to do that general education, but choose a major so that you can specialize. So again, we're being, it's an oxymoron the way we approach it, because you have to do all of these things, right? The biology, the, um, I'm a big fan of 
variety. So I think if we are gonna go out and, and offer a higher education degree, that there should be some variety. This means that you are capable of learning difficult things. So there needs to be some variety and maybe a couple of things outside of what you love and more choice. Like pick anything that you like in the realm of science. We don't care what it is. You know, you could study earthworms for a semester. It doesn't matter. But if you pick something that you like, you're interested in, maybe you love butterflies. So, you know, instead of having every class, there's biology and there's chemistry, you know, those are great classes for, for my younger son is considering pre-med. And that's why he's taking a gap year is to get really clear about what he wants. And uh, I, I'm a big proponent of gap year because I believe it gives you that spaciousness to do the parts that school isn't giving. And instead of just going down a track and you're so busy with your studies, you don't really have time to think about what you want. A gap year offers you that if it's structured, unstructured, not, not so much. Give, give yourself a little bit of a, okay, I'm going to accomplish these things. But, uh, but even as he's considering that, he loves biology, right? And he loves that. He doesn't necessarily want to do, say, the, um, the art class. And that's a hard one for him. And so why would he have to take an art class and draw, for instance? Or, you know, we have, okay, you have these two classes you can pick from. Why not say, okay, well, art is anything that is expressing yourself. So then there's this curriculum. I imagine a world where the teacher teaches very little, but facilitates a lot. And so here's the basic constructs of, let's say, insects. Okay, well, you guys get to study any insect you want for the whole semester. You know, uh, In other words, just more freedom. What I find in the classroom, and, and ironically, I was in an, a school, I just left actually that school to go out on my own, but I just left a school that has a, a large European population. So a lot of students from Europe come because we have sports programs and they play in the sports. And uh, discipline wise, my European students were, and this is a generalization, it's not completely true across the board, obviously, but the, the European students were more diligent. They, they wrote better papers. They had more academic ability really than, uh, than a lot of the American students that we had. But whenever I would set loose parameters, so I would say, for instance, okay, there are four roles. We're all gonna we're we're gonna build this project. Four roles. Pick a role, and then I explain the roles, and they have to pick the role, and then they kind of had to make up their own. Like, what would you want to create? So this is a business. You guys are gonna create it and sell it. What would you create? And as soon as I opened the parameters, and they had a lot of choices to make, and not just content to learn, they didn't like it. They didn't like. They did not like it at all. They were so unaccustomed to being asked, what do you want? Mm. And not being told what to do. And then I started to find that um, same thing in the US, we, they were so used to being told what to do that it was a struggle. But a few, a little subset of my students, ironically, it was a lot of football players. I don't know why, I think because they don't love the academics as much as a whole. Um, so when the loose parameters were there, they had a blast. They had fun. They're like, wait a minute. I just get to do what I want. And as long as I do it, I get marks. Yes, please. And so there were some subsets that started to rise up where I noticed 
and, and I, I tried it again with a little more structure and then I tried it again with more structure and there, there really is an optimal level of structure that, you know, it gives enough of what to do, but with some room to play where students can adapt and learn on their own. That said, they're trained already. So that structure has to be a little more rigid than what I think it ultimately will be because they've already been trained to fit inside the box. Well, what do you do in school? You fit, you do all the things, you check the boxes and then you move on to your next class. And um, that no child left behind thing, that was one of the worst things we did here in the US to, it's like, okay, well now we're really gonna push you through even though you didn't learn. And uh, it really, um, we teach to the middle, right? When you have a class of a hundred, what can you do? You teach to the middle. Some people are gonna be bored. Some people can barely keep up. The average student is going to perform. Well, the average student could have done that in a module on a computer, right? So the creativity, I believe, is when you can make it enough that the average student can still play and the students who struggle can come up and have a few areas where they shine. They're not going to shine on the whole thing if they're not academically talented that way. That's okay. Let them shine where they do. And then those exceptional students can go and shine in all the areas or they can shine in one and everybody gets a chance. But if they're all being measured on the same marks and the same exam, how are we giving any fairness to that? No, so changing no. your assessments is another, another whole rabbit hole of topics you could talk about, about how you measure that. And then what is the real standard? Because the standard in the US is basically A's, right? You should get all A's, that's how you succeed. And it's okay if you don't, but you're just not the best student. What? <laughs> yes, you could be a brilliant, wonderful student who really knocked it out of the park in science, but you just didn't get it in art. Or you knocked it out of the park in the art classes, but you just don't understand why you under need to know about the cells of your toes. You know, like, why do I need to know about my toes? They wiggle. <laughs> so I, I think everyone has a gift to bring to the world. And for me, the real role of education is to unlock that. What, um, what I find interesting is, you know, like what you were saying about the different tests you were doing and how people reacted and the Europeans, it, it's, it's kind of, I think they condition people. So for example, what I've noticed in Ireland, we tend to, we don't have this jaywalking thing. Right. So you just cross the road. Nobody waits for the trap. There's no car coming. You look up and down, you cross the road. In Poland, it's like America. They have kind of, you get a fine if you, and I have seen a hundred times more people getting knocked down in Poland because what happens is the lights change. You have roads that can turn, but they're supposed to stop if they see the, and people do not look. I always look. I'm just conditioned to look, but people see a green man and they walk across. So that's the, the actual the worst that can happen because people have you know they're just focused like that instead of actually being creative in the, themselves and I think the education system doesn't help that yeah and I, I think that's the conditioning is exactly right when you are conditioned to look okay that says go I go and I don't look before I go then that's you're just going to do that what's going to even cause you to think oh maybe I'll look somebody getting hit, right? Somebody gets hurt. Now you think, oh, well, how could I avoid that? So if we would just think, pay attention to where we've been conditioned, pay attention to what, where we're conditioning ourselves still, 
then I believe we can begin to open up, open up the ways that we approach life and the ways that we do life. Because I think a lot of times, you know, it's like, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a nurse, you're going to be, there are a handful of things to choose from. And we've been conditioned that if we don't know, or if we can't succeed at one of those, that we're a failure. And education perpetuates that, unfortunately, and it, it continues to create that conditioning. Uh, I'm part of communities where that's not the case. And I don't know what degrees anyone has in that community. Now, these are my personal communities, not my work communities, right? And, um, but I see people in those communities who are doing fabulous things. Artists, one of my friends, she walks on stilts for a living. Like that's what she does, right? And she's thrilled about it and she shares that. But how did she get there? And she got there through her talents and gifts being cultivated and someone seeing that in her and recognizing it and encouraging, you know, even from a young person, encouraging her to explore that. And she's made a beautiful life. Now, if you would go to today's, you know, typical standards of what a successful person is, I mean, I don't know her personal situation, but maybe she doesn't have as much, uh, you know, she's never, maybe she's never going to be a multimillionaire. Maybe she will. I don't know. But, you know, she's not on a path with that in mind, right? It's not like, oh, again, I become a multimillionaire. I think a big part of what's become a problem in education is that we've made the money part the goal. Yes. And I teach money. So I'm all for it. I love money. I love money raining on me. I love sharing money. I love money. And when we are going after money, I think of money more like a suitor and a masculine suitor. And we could be the feminine receiver. And if we go after the money, it's really kind of losing interest in us, right? Like, oh, you're chasing, chasing, chasing the money. Energetically, the money is just like, eh, you know, whatever. I, I can have that anytime I want it. Why would I go there? But when we radiate from within what we want, who we want to touch, how we want to be in the world, the things we want. So instead of focusing on a house, I focus on the feeling of my family being there and how it feels for my friends to come visit and, uh, you know, many things like that. So what are the feelings? What are the emotions and the, the ways I'll use that thing, right? And then I invite as an invitation money to come and support that idea, money to, now we're not taught that in education. Yeah. We're taught, get the marks, go, you know, call it, go to school, go to college, get a job, earn money, then get the things you want. But how often do we walk right by something that is for us, that we want, that's basically being given, but we don't trust it because it's, oh, that's too easy, must not be true, right? Or, and that's a conditioning. Or, um, why well, didn't earn it yet? There's a big movement in the, did you earn it? And, you know, then we had the millennial group who said, I earned it because I'm here on the planet, <laughs> a few of them. Um, but but there's no, there's actually something there. Maybe it didn't come across, especially being raised by boomers and Gen X, that millennial generation kind of got lost and treated as, you know, like, well, um, entitled is the word they used for them. Um, I taught them in the classroom and I love them. But what I say is, yes, they kind of came entitled, but that's because they're trying to work with a system that doesn't make sense to them. There's not a new system yet. 
but they understand at a fundamental level that by being human, by being on the planet, we're worthy of having what it takes, having the things we need, having what, you know, what it takes for us to be comfortable and happy. And, and we have action steps we can use to create and make that for ourselves because we deserve it. But, you know, so for the, the millennials, they got called entitled, but I believe that they ushered in a new wave of, hey guys, wait, maybe we're working too hard. Maybe hard work isn't the goal. Uh, it doesn't mean don't ever do hard work. It just means hard work is not the goal. Hard work is sometimes necessary to push us over that next piece of what we want with a very specific plan. But I believe our purpose for being here is to be here, to experience it, to have fun. Um, call it learning, if you will. It, but it, learning doesn't have to be atrocious and hard and and not, no fun. It can be wow, today I'm going to learn about pixie sticks. Remember the little sugar candies? They're fun. Um, but I don't know much about them except it's sugar, right? So maybe I'm just suddenly excited about pixie sticks and I want to learn about them. Well, I'm going to learn about sugar. I'll probably learn about the impacts of sugar on the body, right? I'll learn probably about the factories that they're made in. There's so much I could learn just about pixie sticks. And it would contribute to what we thought we were trying to teach in school, which is learning about the body and learning about business and factories, right? So if we can just pick what we love and learn from there or what intrigues us or what maybe some, some people learn from things they, they loathe, right? Oh, this makes me so angry. So I'm gonna learn more about it so I can overcome it. There are so many triggers for learning in our natural state. That's why we came is to experience and to learn and to, to dare I say, have fun on this planet. Uh, and if we can approach learning from that place, the rest is just easy. It just happens naturally, yeah. right? The, the, the passing of an exam, that's part of that. Let's industrialize this thing so that we can measure how everybody learned. Well, I don't really care if you learned about pixie sticks today, or if you learned about books, or if you learned about the grass in the fields. If you learned about something, you've gained skills and knowledge that you can use no matter what. So for me, learning is that. It's the exploration of the things that intrigue us most. Yeah, yeah. And like what I see, my daughter, uh, she's uh, she's 20 and you know, she just kind of gets what she's been to so many countries already. She just, she has a mindset and she just, she manages to to go where she wants and do what she wants. And even like, because, you know, you mentioned uh, earlier about people going for different professions. And that, that was one thing at one stage, you know, I was saying, try to get something in business, but she wanted to be a teacher. And I stepped back and said, it's not my life. You know, she chooses what she wants. But I see a lot of people, unfortunately, and they follow, if their parents are doctors, they follow in that line. If they're lawyers, they follow in that line or an accountant. And they hate it, but they're doing it to please their parents. And they normally get out of it after about 10 years or they're just depressed through their lifespan of actually working in that. I believe that it is because of the way we do education at the high school and college level. That is why we see so many 40-year-olds completely leaving their careers, completely changing everything up, risking everything taking their life savings, right? They've been taught save, 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 save. And at 65, you get to retire. And they're saying, wait a minute, I've been doing this for 20 years. I got 25 more in front of me and I hate it. 
And they're just saying, no, no, you guys said I was supposed to just save and have money, but what's the point if I'm unhappy? And statistics show actually up until recently, we've been seeing within three years of retiring, people die. Statistically, they'll die within three years. Now that's because they disconnect from their community. They don't have a sense of purpose. So those, those active adults who go out and they find community and they build some purpose, that's not happening for them now. And the statistics got out and people started to figure that out. But what happens, I believe, why we quit at 40, why we suddenly have a midlife crisis <laughs> and all the things. Yes, our hormones are changing or yes, whatever. But really it comes down to we've been living a lie yeah. for 20 years. And we chose it. The number one thing I, I ask students every semester, how did you get here? What, what got you to college? What are you excited about? And I am shocked semester after semester after semester, how many of them say, well, my sister was here. You know, my sister went to school and my parents thought it was a good idea for me too. Or I didn't know what else I was going to do. So my mom suggested I do this. Uh, you know, my, my dad is a CPA. So I thought I'd study accounting and that because, and it's not because they're wrong. It's just, that's the view they have of the world. They've never been exposed to more. I'm so excited for your daughter. You're saying she's traveling. I, I, I'm a huge pro proponent of international travel for expanding your horizons and who you are and, and what you do with your life. And when I hear that, what I'm hearing from, I can guess about your daughter is that she doesn't look at something in the face and say, oh, that would be hard or I can't. She looks at it and says, well, how can I make that true? Yeah, and that approach when you, you, it seems like you've allowed her, the very fact that you do a podcast specifically on you know, awakening people to the truth says that you've probably been a good role model to her. And so she feels free, right? She hasn't been boxed and she feels free and she's traveling and she's doing things and ignoring the voices that say, well, how do you get to do that, right? Because you get that a lot. Yep. When my son and I said, well, we're gonna move to California over and over and over, I heard people say, well, aren't you worried? Isn't that expensive? Isn't all the, the fears, right? Um, I just shielded him from that. And I just said, well, we're not going to talk about the fears because every big has its own set of fears. But what do we want it to look like? What would we need it to be for us to be served? Um, of course, I'm good with money. So I did a clear budget and said, okay, here's how long this could make sense before we start earning income. It, because we, you know, I love come here. And uh, so, you know, we have to replace that somewhere somehow after a while, because we want to maintain our standard of living and not just keep drawing from our savings. So we have these awarenesses of some of the potential problems, you know, like if we just ignored money, we'd probably run out of it. So you, you have awareness of it, but it doesn't get to dictate your life because if you understand how money works, then you don't live in fear of not having it. You just simply choose what you want and then you invite the money to come along. Now I've gotten a lot of good insights since we've been here and my business is going very well. So the simple fact of saying yes to it has opened doors for me. Being in California, I've met three specific and significant people who've been helpful in this process. 
who knew? I, we didn't know what we were coming here for. We just felt a draw, a yes to it. And so we said, okay, let's do it. And I believe when people are invited from life, from school, from parents, from other role models that they look up to, when they're invited to really ask, what do you want? And to let go of the boundaries and the limitations to that, that magic happens. You know, it's, it's a type of magic that unlocks. I think of it as like unlocking the doors to their heart. And now they're able to contribute to the world. Now they bring passion to it. You know, um, now they don't come home at the end of a long work day going, ugh, gotta do this again tomorrow. They might say, whoo, that was exhausting, but how rewarding, right? When you can come home at the end of the day, like, whoo, that, that took a lot for me today. How exciting that I get to give my life in this way. That's when education is succeeding because that's what it's for is to help teach us how to be better at whatever we are, whoever we are in the world. Absolutely. And like, there's another thing as well with the topics, because I remember when I was going to college, I, I hadn't a clue what I wanted to do. So I was like, okay, I like technical drawing. I was good at technical drawing. I started looking at the courses. So it was construction, economics and management was the course. And most of the people in the class, they hadn't a clue what the course was going to be about. And I find, <laughs> but that was actually a decent one because we had nine subjects and people had a great variety. And the only downside was that you had to pass every subject, which, you know, I'm against. You should have been allowed maybe drop two or three. But I like a, a course as well that's very broad. Instead of your specifically a certain, you know, uh, career is, is the one that you're studying. Yes, I agree with that. Because when we expand, that's when we find, you know, that's when we find the nuances, the, you know, they talk about in business niching down to your target or, you know, specifically solving a problem for a specific set of people. Well, when you, to get there, to get what that is and to, for it to be juicy for you, you really had to look outside, right? Because how are you going to set yourself apart as an accountant if all you've ever done is numbers? Well, you and every other accountant looks the same. But when you happen to have a passion for glass blowing, just pick a thing, right? You have a passion for glass blowing. Well, now you are an accountant who maybe teaches people how to, through glass blowing, how to better structure their money, right? You're going to find those parallels. I don't glass blow, so I don't know well, the parallels. Exactly. Like even a glass blowing business, but because of your passion in that, you can, yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And just, you know, the, the art of creating the glass probably has some parallels. I've, I've just launched um, something that we're calling, you know, adventure learning. And, you know, because, because of my belief and my practice in body learning, using the body to engage so that we can learn at a, at a deeper level, uh, we've, we've launched this concept, which will, the first trip is in November. Um, and so it'll be, we go into an adventure. So the, the students who come into this, there's some learning. They're going to come out knowing how to handle money and, you know, how, what money means for them. Not everything specific because we just get them curious. Then there are tools for them to learn that in depth. But we get them learning and curious about money and feeling good about learning that. We get them curious about their own gifts and how they show up in the world and how they showed up during this adventure trip is a big one, right? That's a way for them to have immediate action. We have emotion going because they're doing this fun adventure. 
and teach a few principles and learning from that and in theory, right? So now we've broadened it by saying, hey, well, what did this mean to you? So whoever you are and what you bring to that, that's where the learning happens. And that's where the magic, I, I love the word magic because it's really just the coming together of all the components that we maybe can't see, but that make a difference. And that's when the magic really happens inside is when they're in that and they're, you know, show, they're terrified maybe. Some people are terrified of heights and their first event is the balloon riding, you know, a hot air balloon. So like, how, how does this show up for you when you're in the middle of, you know, getting in the balloon, when you're in the air, at what point do you kind of find yourself relaxing, right? So there are parallels for that and you can use those parallels to enhance whatever you're teaching. So when you explore and become someone with many interests, you're now able to find the metaphors and the ways of teaching that other people can understand what you're talking about, even if they don't get it. So most people don't get accounting, right? I, I, I taught accounting for a while and uh, it's very regimented, not a lot of wiggle room to get fun stuff in when you're teaching accounting, it's so much information. Well, not everyone's going to be good at that. It's not fun for most people, but maybe if we had a metaphor and I could wrap that in, you know, I don't have to be a super creative accountant. I can just like one thing. Now I have a metaphor that people can relate to and it helps them connect to what they're trying to do with the accounting work. And maybe they don't get all of the specific steps correctly, but they get the concept and the why. And now they're going to say, well, oh yeah, I do need to count that $2.97 item in my books because it messes things up when I don't just account for it. Yeah, I don't have to do the math, but it, it's important that I include that, that I spent so that my accountant can track that for me. So I believe that our behaviors will change as we learn things by osmosis and by just being around and part of it. That's what changes our behavior. Learning it from a book, the reason it's taken me I think I'm on two years now reading this because I'll digest a little bit at a time. Yeah, if you look into any of my books that I'm actually studying, you'll see notes in the margins always. So I'm absorbing it, but I'm not trying to get through the book. I'm taking a little segment and then, oh, where does this show up in my life? And how can I pursue that even further? Yeah. And, and I, I think that for me, and I believe based on 20 some years of teaching for most people, that when we open it up to something that you're interested in anyway, then we can teach you anything because then you just make it adjacent to that, make it part of that. Absolutely. And I you know you were just talking about the accountants and just like a lot of them go through the education system. I've had a lot of companies and, you know, like you expect an accountant to give you advice to be, you know, tax optimization, you know, pay as little tax as possible. But the majority of them, and I mean, I have changed maybe 10 or 20 different, the majority of them, they just want to tick the boxes and put you through the system. There was been times where I'd get a tax bill and I'd say, can I not do this, this, this? I would read uh, in Ireland. There was one company I had, I read a book and it was written by a guy that uh, worked for the revenue. And I said, can I not do this, this and this? And I ended up getting a tax rebate. And it's the same in Poland. I go, can I not do this, this? And they say, no, what about this? Like lately there was one, myself and another guy, we sold a property and they were saying, uh, oh, you have to pay this tax. And I said, but it shouldn't be that. And I kept looking for angles for, in the end, we didn't have to. But like, it frustrates me that professionals, like I'm kind of, I call myself, well, I'm a serial entrepreneur, but a generalist. 
that I am actually telling them when they it should be the other way around. And I bl- blame the education system for that, that they're not thinking outside of the box to kind of have your interest at heart. Because if they if we, if you find an accountant that's saying, hey, if you do this, if you do this, this is totally legal, but you won't pay the tax or you pay less tax on this. I would recommend 10 people to them, but they don't. They don't get it that way. Exactly. And that that is, I, I agree with you 100%. That's part, a product of our education system. We've told people, if you want to be a good accountant, you need to be an introvert, uh, probably like to sit behind a desk and work with numbers, and right? And so we've only attracted people to do accounting. Who That's called a, book, a bookkeeper, and they don't make a lot of money, right? And then there's the CPA, and the CPAs are for public accounting, which most of us don't need. So it's really, you know, at most companies need a, a management accounting. In other words, someone who can manage the books and understand the flow of what's going on with your money. The CPA is for your external reporting. That's just to tell people what you did, but what about the part where you understand what's going on inside your company and the impact that different decisions make on your money, right? Mm -hmm. That that's your accounting strategist. And we, we, we've told the whole world and the world believed it. Oh, you need a CPA. You need someone who's, you know, a tax accountant and all that. Um, I disagree. There are places for these people. You want these people to check your work, for instance, because they're very meticulous and they're not going to miss a detail. Uh, You don't want them to be the decision makers about your tax strategy. Very often, uh, and people ask me all the time, oh, do you do taxes? I do my own. I do not do anyone else's. I I don't want to crunch those numbers for, for that. But what I do offer more so by request, I just not a a business offering, but I do this with people by request, is tax strategy. So let's look at your income, your expenses, all the things that you're doing. Uh, You know, let's pull into play maybe a a current accountant who has some knowledge on current tax law or or Google it because you can Google it. It's really that simple. Uh, But, you know, know your current tax law and what strategies are going to keep most of your money in your pocket. Because I promise you, you can, you can say all day long what you want about, uh, you know, is that legitimate and are you doing your part if you don't pay taxes, uh, you know, if you pay less taxes, I should say. Um, and I say, yeah, tell me one person who is wealthy, who isn't using tax strategy. And I'll tell you someone who just doesn't know and they're not going to stay wealthy, right? So it, the, the wealthy are doing it. And it's because of knowledge. They were able to understand this or to hire someone who does. And they, they've invested resources in saying, what does it take for me to keep the most of my money? I, I'm all about helping the economy and the world. But at the end of the day, I can do more help if I keep that money in my pocket where I can choose where it goes. Because if you're gladly paying taxes, which you know we want the income, we want to have some taxes to pay because we want income to do that. But if you just say, well, the government can do it better than me, really? I have yet to see that in any country. <laughs> in any country. Because there, there's leaks, right? So the government has a system to run. And then there's going to be someone who's taking advantage of it over here that can't really be plugged up as well as you could or whatever. So for me, I like to keep as much as I legally can in my own pocket so that then I can choose oh, well, here's someone who's struggling. Instead of hoping the government helps her, I can help, right? Or here's a business owner who has been mandated not to go open their doors, even while Walmart and Target and all the big names are. 
I can give my business to them. You know, so we can do that locally by choosing and understanding strategy so that we can keep more money. And, but why would the education system teach this? The education system is operated by our governments. So why would they teach you how to avoid paying taxes, right? That, that's the small inner circle. That's the stuff that usually only the wealthy know, but they don't have to be the only ones who know. We just haven't added it into the boxed education. And so unless you look for it, you don't even know it's something you need to know. Exactly. And under the current circumstances, what I would say is all your governments are telling you what to do in the current, the last six months, and just look at what they've been lying about for the last hundred years. So be creative and step outside of the box and start looking at alternatives and ask yourself, why is there doctors coming out saying the opposite that are specialists in this? Why is there people giving proper statistics and then instead of believing the narrative that you're told or watching the, the media, you can be, oh, and get out of this system where you're trained to be believe what you've been educated to believe. Yes. And it, it, it it's leaking into our election system, right? So now in the U.S., we are about to come up on a presidential election, among other things, right? So people forget in the middle of a presidential election that there's much more important things happening on that ticket. Your 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 local senators and, and governors and all of these people are being chosen on some of these tickets. And, um, and we forget because we're told by the media to look at the presidential part. But at the end of the day, the president we saw this with our, our last president, Obama, the president can't get a lot done if the House or the Congress is not on, on the same team. Yeah. So if you're going to choose your president but ignore the rest in our system, you've literally said, well, I'm gonna create a hanged jury for, of our government and nothing can get done. So we're asking people to look at one thing, say a president, when, at the end of the day, the impact of just the president is probably less than all the other parties we're picking. And like the local, my son is a little bit interested in politics. So one of the things he's looking at here, I said, instead of jumping in on a presidential election, find out what's going on local, get on the, the uh, city council and what's happening here at a local level. That's an easy way to learn what happens in politics and government and to have your, you don't have to give a whole career to it. You can just go find out what it's about. But we're, we're telling everyone to vote and it's important. I believe that it's important to at least make a mark and hear, have your voice heard, right? So here's what I stand for. Uh, but at the same time, what are we standing for? Because we don't know because all we see is a circus. So for me, I ignore the news and then I'll go and do research and like what's in writing that I can read and see about their plan and what they stand for. And I choose based on those things, not based on anything I saw in the media. Um, there are some, there's a candidate I would not stand behind right now, no matter what, <laughs> because of basic human decency. But, um, but that said, if that character wasn't there and if the disregard for human life and what I see as precious human souls, if that disregard wasn't there, I wouldn't be ignoring that completely. And okay, what's on paper and what makes sense for me based on what I know about economics and policy. And you know, here we have uh, in the US, the Biden and Trump 
election going on. I think the and- whole world is aware of that. That's the strange thing. In When America has an election, it's impossible not to see what's going on. And the debate was probably seen by half the population around the world, yes. if you can call it a debate. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we tuned in, my son and I tuned in for just long enough to see a little segment of it. Um, I got really clear on a couple of things. Um, I got more clear on my choice not to support in some cases. Um, And for me, I found that, again, it was a distraction. It was just a distraction from what's going on behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, our our economy is in a mess. (laughs) It's in a mess. So it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens. Um, There are things that were done in our economy, irrelevant to who's in charge. Uh, we got in a crisis and so we, okay, unemployment checks for everyone. And as we said, people will take advantage of it. I know 17 year olds who, you know, were working, serving jobs and got full unemployment, you know, like as if they were supporting a whole family and they got the same amount as maybe someone who was supporting a whole family. Uh, So those things happen. I'm not trying to fight that system. They got to figure that out on their own. But what concerns me about this whole thing is how easily the American people accepted this is the solution. This is our solution. We're going to pay you an unemployment check. I get it. We needed a quick mandate. Things things were closing. But how quickly we accepted that and how many would be glad to continue that? Ah, I would just stay here. I don't have to work. Don't have I that concerns me because it's the opposite of what we say we are. We Capitalism has its own problems, but we are intended to be a capitalistic society. We've manipulated that to where there's a spread of wealth. And now we're saying, okay, well, let's do some socialistic practices. Let's just go ahead and put everybody on a check, no matter what, right? So so my concern isn't with whether it's fair and all of that. My concern is how comfortable are we and being groomed to be comfortable sitting at home and not contributing and just being quiet and doing your thing, right? So a little bit I'm concerned about where that will go as a nation with the dependency on federal funding for our livelihood. And um, I don't know because I'm not eligible, so I haven't even attempted to look into what's going on in that system. But I can tell you that a few years ago, I was laid off from a job and I was uh, the person who should need it. But because I'm an entrepreneur and I had a little bit of my own income, not a lot at the time, but I had some and it made me ineligible for the little bit of money that I should have been able to get because I was unemployed, legitimately laid off with 200 other people. Um, So for me, the system is just an arbitrary Yes, goes on around the world. I think they're giving people social welfare so they'd be compliant. This is all orchestrated. They'll do what they're told. I've it's frustrated me. I've known that for years. It it happens in most of the countries. The entrepreneur, they could employ hundreds of people. And when things go belly up, if they go bankrupt, they don't get they don't get unemployment benefit. Yet they have contributed way more taxes. And sometimes people have never worked in their life, they'll get a check. So you look at these are the people now that are running your country and these are the people to telling you what to do. So sometimes you need to 
start researching yourself and see what the truth is. Yes. And, and so what I find is if you look close enough, the systems are there to help the entrepreneur, the, the wealthy, the, you know, the, but the thing is, you're not told, no. right? The tax system in the U.S. is designed to encourage you to be an entrepreneur, but they just don't tell you about it. Because, of course, the entrepreneur eventually becomes the wealthy business owner who has a lot. And so they learn and they take advantage of these tax uh, tax incentives. You know, um, they, t- they now tax things on Amazon. But when Amazon started, anything bought on the Internet had no sales tax. So there was an, a built-in benefit, right? So that, that was hurting the local economy. Um, the... If you look at the tax system, most people get paid their paycheck, they pay their taxes, then they buy the stuff they need, and then which they, by the way, pay taxes on buying all of the things they need. And then whatever's left over, if any, they try to save or to have something fun out of it, right? But if you look at the tax system, if you're an entrepreneur, if you are have your own business, you can earn your money pay all your expenses, all the legitimate expenses, then you pay the taxes. And you can literally put money back in your pocket by simply reversing that order. And that's a system available to us, but of course that's not taught. No no one's talking about it in the system because, well, the, the IRS is gonna be glad to get your big check back to them because you didn't do it that way. And, uh, I personally choose to be an entrepreneur for many reasons, but one of them is because I like to keep my money. I don't believe that the IRS worked hard enough to get the money that I've made. And so every legitimate dime I can, I'm going to keep. But of course you have to play their system. There are some taxes that you just have to pay. And, you know, sometimes you can't get out of it, but instead of a 10,000 tax bill, if I can get a 1000 tax bill, you know, I, I've seen years where it was supposed to be a tax bill if I wasn't an entrepreneur based on my uh, W-2s, because I also still teach. And after my entrepreneur work, which a couple of years I had invested heavily in education and in growing my business, those years I had losses. So I actually was able to get refunded money a little bit from the W-2 earnings I made. Now, That is not something you're going to learn in school, unless you take my class. My students learn these things, (laughs) but that's not something in the traditional education and why part of it, maybe it's better for the IRS if we don't know. So they haven't promoted it, but also we're just so busy. The education structure is so busy. Who has time to teach these things? I just got lucky and I teach economics, which gives a little, the answer to everything in economics is it depends. So in this space of it depends, I was able to teach a lot of ancillary pieces that, you know, like, like understanding tax code and like, what does it really mean when you become an employee of a company and, you know, understanding 401ks and the racket that that is. (laughs) So uh, a lot of the things that were taught in school, if you look closely, it's to benefit the system. So that we get to be a pawn in a system that works for it, that keeps it running. So we are the workers for the United States of America. And we go to work and we work hard and we build the things. And then we pay taxes on what we earn for building them. Then we go out and pay taxes on the, when we buy the same things that we made 
We pay you taxes again because we bought it. And then we use it to some degree to make our communities better because some of us do that, right? We, we Even if we beauty our own yard, we're making our community better. And so we use that money to then make the world better and then go back out to work and work again to earn the money to give it to the IRS. And so I, I don't the, think- A vicious circle. <laughs> and then who has time or energy or money to get out of that cycle once you're in it, right? You And it only starts through- the application of knowledge to begin to understand and then to apply it in your life. That's how you get out of the circle. Exactly. Listen, you have given a wealth of knowledge today and I know you've written two books, so I'm assuming uh, they're both about money. Yeah. That people can. uh... They are. Yeah. One is called the money makeover and it's more about how to get out of debt, how to just get your life back in that balance or to get out of that that vicious cycle we're talking about. And it's crucial in this moment because a lot of people are struggling. So that kind of advice is, uh, you know, it's welcomed at this moment. Yes. Thank you. And that one's really simple. I'm kind of proud of it because of its simplicity. It's not complicated. It's not trying to get you to do 10 billion things. It's like, okay, here, here's some strategies. You might've gotten into some debt for various reasons. No biggie. Let's talk about how to get you going forward from here and what the best options are. The second one was really written for athletes, but it applies to anyone who is who, who is in an earning phase. If you're in an earning phase of money, it's re, it's called the money, um, the money shot. So it's kind of like while you're making your money and how you set it up for your future so that you can have a strong financial future so that you can really, you know, do what you want with your family and have choice. My, my biggest passion, um, the reason I love learning so much is it opens up choice. And so this book is really all about taking what you have and giving yourself more choice to go out into the world with, with the finances that you're creating for yourself anyway. And you mentioned one thing earlier, and I think it was one of the best things ever is like, is like a relationship where, you know, because a lot of people, you know, they're chasing the money and they're going for the person and it's just, it's repelling against it. So that is, is a lot of people should heed that advice so, so how can people find you what uh, have you uh, the website and everything so people can get in contact yeah i have a really simple way um i have it it's a scheduling system if you want to schedule us you can just go to askprofessorg.com and it's really simple you can also email me at crystal at askprofessorg.com so if you're just looking to get some tips or whatever but if you're looking to schedule a call you want you have some questions you want to take that step forward. Maybe you're looking at what you want to do with your life or how you want to approach education. Uh, I love offering uh, just what I have, you know, what I have is knowledge, education, and experience. And I love offering that and helping others to get clear on who they are. If you can go out and live what you, the, the Gen Z students are calling your best life, <laughs> that's their phrase right now. You can go live your best life and I can contribute to that in some way. That's what I'm really about. And my programs are all designed to dive into who you are, what you have to give to the world, and then how to get paid for that instead of, okay, what's the degree now? Let me get paid for it. Now, who am I? Right. And, and so we're, we're circumventing that 40 year crisis and saying, okay, maybe you're 20 and you're figuring it out right now. I got you. That's what I really care about. Can I help you to have the best life that you can possibly have for yourself? Beautiful. Listen, it's been wonderful. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you, Roy. So nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
So that's all for the Awakening Podcast. You can find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org or on BitChute and YouTube. Be sure to share with your friends and give us a thumbs up. Until next week, take care. There's a time.